Greetings, and welcome to Hiden Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Hannah Kennedy, who is a freelance violinist based in the Twin Cities. She recently received an artist diploma in violin performance from University of Colorado Boulder, and is a member of the assistant faculty at Artaria String Quartet's Summer Chamber Music Festival, Stringwood, and we'll be talking about her travels in the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Patty. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah! So, we first met when you were roped into the assistant faculty at Stringwood. Thanks for joining the family. (laughs) Yep, got suckered in before I knew what I was getting myself into. I feel like, too, our first meeting was like a very warm, very masked, hurried encounter in the hallway yes but right that's true (laughs) because you joined us for our 2021 stringwood camp which was like many other festivals and programs we had to skip 2020's stringwood so 2021 was the first one where everything was masked and we were being incredibly hygienic yes (laughs) and we were successful no one at that camp got covid and even in 2022 no one got covid which is miraculous i think yes yeah here's to uh third consecutive year of that. <laughs> yes, let's yeah, let's keep the streak going. So, I also think what's funny about when we first kind of met, I mean not just in the hallway but actually started talking to each other was we like to have a little little hangs at night at Stringwood after hours, let's put it that way, and you asked me one of the most intense questions I've ever received in my life, and it just like went straight to the core of who I am and the reason why I tick the way I do, and I've just ever since been just so, I guess even as a interviewer have just been in such awe of that question. (laughs) (laughs) And now the tables have turned. I know, right? (laughs) You can do the same to me. (laughs) But yeah, I just think that that was just funny. Of course, I knew of you through Ray and Nancy and Artaria, and they knew you because you were a past student of theirs through ACMS, Artaria Chamber Music School, and also Stringwood. And I knew you because you were in the Altius String Quartet for a second there. And that was a group that I competed with when I was a student as well. But I mean, you weren't in the group at that point, but I was like, yeah. oh, I know that group. So I like picked your brain about what that group was about too and what, yeah. yeah. But anyway, <laughs> maybe this is a good segue to your most insane performance or audition story. Yes. Okay. So good segue because speaking of the Altius Quartet mm-hmm. and of COVID actually. So several of the things we've touched on so oh, far. Wow, so okay. when I joined the quartet, two members had left the group. So I joined right after a former colleague of mine had also just joined. So not only had the group just had one new member come in, but I was also new. This was also the summer of 2020. So of course, things were not great at that time in terms of COVID. I mean, we were pre-vaccine even, which is crazy to think about now. And, you know, I was in school at the time. And so I had just come out of essentially a semester spent at home and these sorts of things. And so I joined the quartet and compared to the Altius calendar in the past, we really didn't have that many engagements just because of the nature of the pandemic. Yes, the pandemic, exactly. But one of the promoters that we had worked with in the past, it's this facility in Boulder called the Dairy Arts Center. And so it was a perennial occasion that Altis would give a recital there mm-hmm. in their indoor, quote unquote, normal performance space. Right. But because of COVID, they said, you know, we have an outdoor option. Uh-huh. And it's Boulder, Colorado. So it's sunny 300 days a year. Yeah. This was in like, I want to say early October okay. of that year. So we're like, yeah, let's do it. Why not? And it was the loading dock. So they opened up the garage. So we were in there. Okay. The four of us and then the audience was outside. So we were getting closer to the day of this performance and we're checking the weather and we're kind of like, okay, 
highs in the 40s, but you know, like we can, we can make it happen. We'll be inside. It'll be fine. And we get to the day of and I kid you not, it was some of the strongest wind I've ever (laughs) experienced. So we're in this loading dock, which essentially is creating a wind tunnel. Yeah. So we have these heaters above us. There's cold 40 degree wind whipping into this loading dock. My music, I was the only one at the time I had not yet purchased an iPad, which I now use an iPad. Yeah. So my music, I had like 18 paper clips. Yeah. And so we're going along and like, it was fine-ish. And then we actually were performing Florence Price Second Quartet, which mm-hmm. Artaria recently performed. Mm-hmm. And we were in the third movement, the juba, and I was playing some violin. And I look over at my colleague Gio, and he stopped playing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, stuff happens. Who knows? And I look over, and his E string's off the violin. Oh, my God. The E string. <laughs> the E string. Not- it's just slipped. Oh, geez. Completely off. And as you know, in that movement, there's not a whole lot going on with the rest of us. There's a lot of first <laughs> violin action, a lot of rhythm section. Yeah. And so we essentially vamped the kind of da 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 Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And he like cranked it up and my A string was like a G sharp and it was just this whole thing. <laughs> and so the events themselves weren't, if just his E string had slipped, it's kind of like, okay, you know, it happens. But it was just this microcosm of like, we were like, just barely even felt comfortable doing that performance because of the pandemic. And then his right. E string is slipping and it's freezing. Hot mess, basically. Yes, <laughs> totally. But I remember getting to the of it and being like I don't mean to open a can of worms but you know I hadn't had that much of a like wow there's nothing we can do in this performance so we're just gonna do it and yeah with that. those kinds of moments you know create such this organic feeling or of an like, abandonment of like yeah. Yeah, yeah we're just doing it and we have to keep going or you know get to keep going and anyway so yeah that's probably one of the more just with all the circumstances one of the more I would say unrepeatable performance experiences <laughs> that I've ever had and let's hope not that it's yes, not going to be repeatable crossed, yeah like, Uh. (laughs) yeah seriously though like i mean i would love to get some kind of sponsorship from apple but frankly though playing off an ipad gets rid of so many of those kinds of problems not the weather and not necessarily e-string but like the paper clips and yeah if you had the means and the funds to get an iPad, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, Tim Cook, if you're listening, we can really share the beauty of the iPad with the music world. So <laughs> hit us up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Can you tell me about Lacey? Yes. Okay, so Lacey is my husband and I's dog. Also, my husband's name is Nick, just to make some reference for when I use that name, I'm sure later in the episode. So we adopted Lacey back in late May. She is almost nine months old, and she's the most perfect angel. Angel mm-hmm. on the face of the planet. She's mostly cattle dog and mm-hmm. got some other breeds in her. And she is simultaneously shy, but is always the alpha at the dog park. And she loves to sleep, but then when she's ready to eat, she will wake us up in the morning. <laughs> Funny. And she's mellow, but also quirky. She's the best. Actually, I so I rarely post on Instagram, but when I do, it's usually a something fun. from some sort of large event. Or my most recent post is all of Lacey. Right. Right, so if right. people want to have some lacy picks in their life, they can go check that out. <laughs> yeah, also, and honestly, I feel like between Lacey and Sushi this summer kept us a little yes. bit more sane. <laughs> just like just the- crying, staring at my phone, looking at Lacey and tearing up. Like you can do this, get yeah. through the day. <laughs> but I think what's funny is that also we specifically like, do you need to see Lacey or do you need to see Sushi right now? Yes. <laughs> it was like a thing 
Lithuania. Yeah, who needs Lacey picks? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about her audition story, her adoption story. So Lacey actually, she was actually born in a foster. So her mom was the dog who was rescued from, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it was from a reservation somewhere either in northern Minnesota or in some sort of adjacent state to Minnesota. Okay. So her mom was rescued and brought to a foster home. And I want to say within a few days gave birth to Lacey and eight other puppies. (laughs) Yeah. So Lacey's life has actually been really beautiful compared to a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of rescue pets. It's Mm -hmm. just things that are unfathomable. But in her case, she got lucky. Yeah, yeah, she sure did. And we're actually so surprised that truly on my phone, in my Chrome app, I had the tab open with her adoption page for five weeks. Mm -hmm. And every morning, multiple times a day, I'd refresh it. And I was like, she's so cute. Somebody's going to adopt her. Like, there's no way. Because I was just finishing up in Colorado and hadn't moved yet. And so it was like, we can't apply yet. Like, literally not. And so I kept refreshing it. And she's still there, still there, still there. So then it got to the week that I was moving. And I text Nick. And I was like, listen, I'm not trying to be crazy. But I (laughs) think we should submit this application. Like, it's time. And he was like, all right, I'm in. Let's do it. And so submitted the application. Got approved for a meet and greet. Mm. So also, shameless plug for Coco's Heart Dog Rescue, which is where she's adopted from. It's an amazing organization. They're on all the socials and they have a really cool, organized and comprehensive website. So check it out. Anyway, so they have this policy of a meet and greet and then a home visit and then you can adopt the pet. So we did the meet and greet the day I got back to Minnesota, literally. Wow. And then panic unpacked because the virtual home visit was a few days later. Oh, yeah. And we were like, of course, we are like huge animal people. We're going to be amazing dog owners, but they don't know that if they just see crazy boxes, like right. chaos everywhere. Right. So Nick literally took a day off of work and he's a public school teacher. So it's not it's like he deal. really had to do it. Yeah. And we just like unpacked everything, got it all set up, did the FaceTime virtual home visit with her foster mom and then adopted her two days later and picked her up. Oh so. my God. Amazing. Yes. It was Aww. very on brand for us, like total chaos, but she's just this beautiful part of our life. So it's been wonderful. Oh, well, yeah. give her, please give her a little pet rub for me. Oh, I definitely will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Hannah, are you ready for some Spitfire questions? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Robert Schumann or Johannes Brahms? Brahms. Tchaikovsky or Stravinsky? Stravinsky. Okay, I like I like that. All right. <laughs> I was wondering because of like the concerto, the violin concerto of Tchaikovsky. Oh, that's I mean, the- why. <laughs> Trauma. All right. <laughs> are we unpacking my trauma? <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> but I mean, technically, Stravinsky has a, right? Doesn't he have a violin concerto too? I believe so. Man, I should have brushed up. Let's fact check really quick. Because <laughs> as an educator, I should know these things. This is great. A cellist helping a violinist remember. Yes, a Stravinsky definitely has a violin concerto. It's in D. So I assume no. you haven't played it. <laughs> no, I have not. All right, let's move away from that <laughs> Run away. That became problematic. (laughs) (laughs) Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Apples or oranges? Apples. Okay. Favorite zoo animal to see? The polar bears, even though I feel bad that they're in not their home climate, but they're so cool. Yeah. Fan favorite question. Favorite concerto for any instrument in any genre? Britain violin concerto. Yeah, dude. It It, slaps. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, what, what more do you need? 
Yeah, nothing yeah. is the answer. <laughs> you got orchestra <laughs> parts, you got metal sections, you got the lyricism. Yeah, and everything. Britain's just so awesome. Just the, his so writing good. is yeah incredible. Last show you would recommend to a friend? Mm, it's a show called Bodyguard. It's a Netflix original. I think they paired with BBC. It's a limited series, so it's six episodes, but it is wild. It's like a political thriller type thing. Mm-hmm. Strongly recommend. Nice. Okay, this is kind of a two-parter. Favorite Disney hero or heroine and villain? Okay, I, this is gonna seem out of left field because I literally am a dog owner, but Corella Deville is the best villain. Why? Yeah. Because she's the most abhorrent. Ah, I see. Because who kills puppies? Come on, man. True. You gotta all, be heartless. I feel like all yeah. the other Disney villains, I feel like that breaks the, what is it, the fifth wall, that expression mm-hmm. of like into our reality. Because so many yeah. of them, it's like, oh, this like whoever got locked in a tower. It's like, come on. That, right. I can't relate to that, but what I can relate to like somebody killing puppies. That's crazy. So, yeah. and Corella traumatized me as a child. So, Corella Deville is okay. my favorite villain. Maybe this is going to make me basic, but either Elsa or Anna from Frozen. Mm-hmm. I do really like actually Tarzan as well, but I feel like there are some other elements to that movie that I cannot get on board with now. Like, of that Tarzan movie hasn't aged well. Sure. Um, and yeah, I just feel like the messaging in Frozen, I think back to when I was six, seven, eight as a young girl, like, if I'd been able to see that, I think mm-hmm. that would have been really, really cool. I also do, I like Hercules because he's kind of a ditz. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> What's your worst travel story? Lord. Okay. So I will try to make this brief, a trait that you know I do not have. Just finished up a backpacking trip in Glacier National Park awesome. with my best friend. Yeah, yeah, it was an incredible trip. We were like feeling good, but we had to drive home, which it's a very long drive and yeah, so we got out of the park. I want to say somewhere in the 2 to 3 p.m. range. Glacier National Park is kind of a strange park because it's very populated, but it's very far from pretty much right. any other sort of population. So to get to, we needed to fill up the gas tank and we needed to fill up our stomachs with food. And so that drive alone, I think, was about an hour and a half from Glacier National Park to this town. In that hour and a half, we saw two people, we were assuming just completely true. Truly, I am not using this as a euphemism on drugs and like laying on the side of the road. And these are two lane roads in the mountains. You can't see anything. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of people were stopped trying to get these people help. So that was within 20 minutes of leaving the park. And we were like, oh, like freaky, but welcome back to civilization. Okay, on the trip. And then things went fine, whatever. We stopped at McDonald's, got on the road. It's about 5 p.m. at this point. We were going to drive to Glendive, Montana, which I think was about a seven or eight hour drive. So we get going, get going and starts getting dark but we've got like our good tunes going we're vibing mm-hmm. and then my fuel light comes on in my car oh god and we were like you know no cell service pitch yeah. black montana yeah this is my nightmare yeah yeah and we were like we freaking forgot to fill up at mcdonald's when, or where we yes because yeah. we, st- we were so excited about our you know quarter pounder with cheese or whatever and <laughs> forgot so we were like all right like okay just keep an eye out keep an eye out it'll be fine it'll be fine just kind of like honestly manifesting like this is gonna be fine so then we start seeing deer and not little like white-tailed deer like mule deer in 
Montana, which are basically like elk. Yeah. Giant. And not one, not two, like dozens. Yeah. On the side of the road, crossing the road. So then we have to slow down because there's so many deer. Then we find this gas station and thank goodness they had diesel because I drive a diesel. Oh. But we fill it up. We're like, okay, whew. And like my tank has a really long range. So I was like, all right, we're good. So we keep going, keep going. The deer get to the point where it looked like a herd of deer on the road. And so Uh I was going like 30 miles an hour, honking, like flashing brights, trying to get these deer out of the way. Then... We're in the home stretch. We're about 30 minutes from our hotel. We had both been struggling to stay awake mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to just literally make it through. And it's 2 a.m. at this point, And we're driving through this cornfield. And we see this girl in what? a tank top, Daisy Duke shorts, and uh-huh. flip-flops by herself just walking down the side of the road. What the and hell? Rural, again, rural Montana. Yeah. 2 a.m. Yeah. Nothing in sight. And we're like, what the hell was that? So we're like, keep driving and then we were going by this point fortunately the deer had gone to bed so i was able to drive <laughs> 60 we go by there's this group of people in the cornfield pitch black doing what god knows what and we just like kept booked going. it yeah yeah so then we were like okay so now we're in children of the corn like <laughs> And we're like, this is like, when does this literal nightmare end? So then we get to our hotel. Fortunately, they didn't have like a policy where if you didn't show up, they were going to sell your room because it's Glendive. So there's not that many people. So they held our room. When we walk in, we see this guy sitting in a chair, bandages, bloody face, not looking good. And at this point, we were like, okay, well, maybe we need to take charge of our own destiny here and like start participating in these weird events. And so my friend was like, hey, are you doing okay? And he's like, man, the deer are so bad out there. I got hit by one on my motorcycle. Oh my God. Like, yeah. And we're like, oh my goodness. So we were like, all right, like, give us our hotel key. We are going and like passing out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's end yeah. the day. Yeah. It was truly such an accumulation of terror and distress. Like, it was yeah, so Yeah, my God. <laughs> It was wild. That was sounds wild. like a movie script. Like you that, like, can't make it up. Yeah, that's the thing. Like honestly, if you had just left the imagination to Rome when you said that when you arrived to this motel and you saw this guy totally like beat up <laughs> and you didn't say it was because of a deer, like that is the beginning of like a whole horror movie to come. Yes. In with the children of the corn. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> it was so freaky. I'm glad you survived that experience. It- <laughs> that who yeah <laughs> that's one too that she and i will we don't tell it often because it's like truly an adrenal toll to like get that much going in the body right but when we tell it she's told it to her family a couple times and things like that and she's like yeah people don't really believe me anymore and i'm like <laughs> i mean yeah fair yeah. <laughs> it's crazy yeah and yeah you know we had spent this like 10 day trip in this absolutely beautiful place and right. then we come out and within an eight hour period of time it's like <laughs> pew Pew, 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 like <laughs> one after the other just yeah like yeah welcome back to like yeah. normal <laughs> like you're not even normal just like no, a reality like a chaos yeah like, slap in the face it was absolutely bananas <laughs> well thanks for sharing the story <laughs> you got it <laughs> favorite professor shout out my violin teacher from colorado professor harumi Rhodes. thank you for everything i actually so in addition to that i supplemented in my master's with her truly changed my life great person great player great teacher total package as yeah. a human so Harumi Rhodes awesome most transformative performance experience 
I don't have just one, but I, I have a couple in my brain. The way I conceptualize it is it's performances where everyone's taking risks together, not mm. in kind of a like almost superficial way of like, oh, I'm gonna like really slide up to that note on this shift or mm-hmm. something. It's like truly like that feeling of whether it's an orchestra, a quartet, a duo, mm-hmm. whatever, just you, where you are, at least for me, it's almost out of body in a good way, not mm-hmm. in a schizophrenic way, but mm-hmm. in like a, this way where I, I know what's going to happen and I know that no matter what I do no matter what my colleagues do we're going to all be right there together and just that feeling of like it's like trust but yeah it's risk taking and when you get to the end and you're like I haven't felt that free you know that Mm -hmm. just getting to the end of a performance and feeling free I think those are the ones that stick with me yeah and it's like how often do you think that's happened to you in your lifetime I think on stage probably only a handful of times Mm -hmm. I think I've I've had those moments you know in a rehearsal we all have those little moments moments or like yeah. in a lesson for five minutes when finally you don't sound bad in your lesson. Or whatever, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I think on stage, I mean, probably two or three tops, I'd say. Yeah, it's weird how because when we teach at Stringloid or when just overall when we teach privately, like we're always teaching how to be more free and have more command over your instrument. So to be more sort of reckless abandoning mm-hmm. in some way, but yet still maintain center and control, right? Yeah. And it's like such a funny state of meditation to be able to do that but then even us professionally can only really probably count the number of times that we're even able to successfully do that probably on our hands during yeah well and it's interesting too to think about at least I think about this I'll I'll speak for myself when I have had those moments or if it's in maybe a quote unquote lower stakes setting like a studio class or something when I have those moments I'm like did I feel that way because I was super internal kind of in a bad way or is that how the audience was perceiving it because we've all had the opposite where you feel not yourself on stage you're like that was absolutely trash I'm yep. quitting I'm yep. never doing this again like yeah. how embarrassing and then everyone's like I've never heard you play like that or some yeah right dramatic thing and you're like were we at the same because <laughs> yeah. I sounded like absolute yeah. garbage you right know? And like it, so it's this weird because sometimes you're in the zone the audience is in the zone everyone's in the zone yeah but other times it's the opposite so I think yeah it's like is it hopefully when I've had great performance memories everyone else agrees yeah. <laughs> Or like people are like, oh yeah, great job. Oh, she sounded like crap. <laughs> and they're like, oh, big program. And yeah. you're like, yeah, thanks. I guess I didn't pull it off. <laughs> Well, I yeah, that's something that I think as performers, we're constantly chasing is that because yeah. it's such a cool high when it happens. Yeah. yeah. Alternate universe musical instrument. Okay, maybe this is like a door or window into my psyche, but either French horn or tenor saxophone. Okay. <laughs> or cello. I will say that. Okay, One sure, of those three. sure. But let's get rid of the cello. Why those other instruments? So saxophone, honestly, the things that I enjoy most about myself as a musician would be could be suited mm-hmm. to being a good jazz player. Mm-hmm. And I think of the saxophones, I like the sound and timbre of the tenor the best. I think we can all agree soprano sax is just trash. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like that at all. Alto's fine. Baritone's just not that functional. But tenor, it's like the cello of saxophone, basically. It's like right. it's got it all. And then French horn, I just feel like they have really, really kick-ass parts written for them. Mm-hmm. And you sit a lot, but when you play, you get to shred. Yes, it's a hard instrument but you can play so loud and you get the heroic stuff you get the melodies you get the really beautiful solos all of it yeah yeah, and I feel like it's just yeah it's like one of the more versatile of the orchestral brass and wind instruments so yeah nice well (laughs) you finished the spitfire questions congrats (sighs) all right wipe the sweat (laughs) brow 
All right, Hannah, can you walk me through your musical origin story? How did you discover the violin and music? When did you decide that that was going to be something to pursue professionally? And why are you still doing it, as I joked about earlier? (laughs) Okay, yes, great questions. (laughs) Rumor has it, according to my parents, I approached them when I was about four years old, kind of just out of the blue and said, greetings, mom and dad, I would like (laughs) to play violin. And so they signed me up, I think at the time, very initially, I was taking lessons, I believe at like a Akroth Music or one of those kind of music stores that also offers lessons. Yeah. And I think within a few months, it was kind of like not a great fit, but I was still like very excited about violin. Uh-huh. And so they regrouped, looked at private teacher lists, not associated with any sort of organization uh-huh. or anything, and got me with a... Suzuki teacher named Dee Dee Storyguard. And I did Suzuki with her for, I mean, at least seven or eight years, I want to say, something like that. Maybe, yeah. maybe six or seven, something like that. So yeah, that's kind of how I started. I will say, shout out to my mom for this, not in a superficial way at all, in a very genuine and deep way. In third grade, I wanted to quit. Like, and like, I really wanted to quit. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, one day I wanted to quit. It was like, no, every you're... day I was like, I, you know, this is not it. But there was, I think, some sort of performance, recital, something coming up that I had said that I was excited about. And my mom told me, okay, I hear you. Let's compromise. You can't quit yet. Do this performance. Afterwards, if you still want to quit, you can quit. That's fine. It's your choice. Gotcha. And I didn't. I mean, clearly, right? Yeah. (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. But doing that, not only she was giving me the validation of hearing what I was saying to her, but also it was really up to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that she handled it that way. Well, I have a couple, sorry, backup questions. One is like, why the violin? Like, of all the instruments, why violin? Like, did you see it on Sesame? me street or something or i honestly don't know so my family especially my mom's side we kind of speak of her side of the family as being musical but not musicians so like many people like play several instruments like my grandpa for example couldn't read bass clef but could read chord notation so he could play Mm -hmm. piano and would just fill in the chord that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but my mom she's not a professional musician and my dad's family there are very few musical people and so there wasn't it wasn't like exposure i'm the oldest child yeah so they don't really know However, the running conspiracy theory is that so my great great grandfather was a violist in the Philadelphia Orchestra. He came to the US from Italy in the early 1900s, like first 15 years, somewhere in there. And I actually own and play on one of his instruments now. Isn't Uh, that awesome how like instruments transcend time like that in generations? Yeah. Yeah, That thing just keeps living. And it was made in the mid 1700s. So (laughs) before him, it's like, who had it? Yeah, right. So anyway, there's, you know, a lot of, oh, it's in our blood, that sort of thing, whatever. Uh-huh. But of course, how was I supposed to know that when I was four? Right, so exactly. I'm not, I'm not really sure why violin. I guess that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And then my other question was, what made you keep going? Because you were so adamant to quit. There must have been something about that performance. Did you have one of those, like, transformative <sighs> concerts? <laughs> like You know something? I can't even remember anything about it. So Yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe at the time, what I can discern from looking back on that experience and frankly, to be totally transparent, thinking about some more recent occurrences of doubt in terms of music and violin and that sort of thing, I think it was that I couldn't picture my life without violin entirely, but I knew I something had to change with how it was in my life. And that's actually something that I'm working through now. I mean, today, I was speaking of my mom, too. I spent some time with her this morning, and we were talking about this, and I, you know, I was like, I never want violin on my life, and haven't for really ever wanted it out of my life, but it's this sort of negotiation of like, how can I simultaneously be my best self 
and the best musician and the best violinist, Mm -hmm. all of these things together and still be feeling, I'm not even sure if there's one word, but it's this sort of like, music will never leave my life, but I want to be more compassionate with myself in Mm -hmm. terms of how I do music, when I do music, where I do music, why I do music, all these sorts of things. Right. Because maybe it's the nine years straight of school. Yeah, that will do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that. Speaking from one person to another. Exactly. Ten years on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's also not the real world. Yes, you're doing music and you're busy all the time, but it's not. No. So anyway. You're in a vacuum. Yeah. So anyway, at the time, I think it was the wanting it in my life. Maybe just barely, but it outweighed the not wanting it in my life. I know. I think it's also kind of funny how, like, I think all of us musicians have that realization at some point of, like, this is something that is a part of our identity, whether we like it or not, or something unique or special that skill that we have. Like, we all acknowledge that. And it's just whether or not how much we participate in that, whether or not it's full on professional, like, that's how you make your living to, like, I know I'm just a really good, what they call amateur violinist or something. Right. Yeah. And I, something too that I have been very fortunate to throughout my schooling and studies, I've had overwhelming majority wonderful teachers. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'm like, you know, we all have our own in music and not in music. We all have our own baggage and our own things that we're good at, our own weaknesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, how can I, amidst my own experience and baggage, how can I still be a flexible, but also not imparting my own opinions on my students, mm-hmm. right? Because certain things I do want to impart on them. Right. <laughs> Like, yeah. good intonation and a good sound. Like, come on, man. Right, like, right. Do it. But other things, it's like, how can I still be supporting them and giving them guidance, but not let my own baggage, history, whatever word you want to use, kind of infect that. Yeah. Discolor yeah. things that they might be excited about. So right. it's it's like anything, you know, if it's giving a friend relationship advice or, mm-hmm. you know, helping somebody buy a car or whatever, it's like your own opinion has to always kind of be this negotiation. Yeah. So yeah, it's a journey. Yeah. We're, we're on it. Totally. We're not done with it, but we're on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's not over. Yeah. That'd yeah. Be, that'd be bad. But sorry, I, I did interrupt your story and your process of describing how you became a professional musician. So Mm. yeah, so I guess initially going into school in my undergraduate when I was looking for schools, and the school that I was initially committed to go to, I was going to go in as a biology major and Mm -hmm. go down the pre med track. And the plan, frankly, was to use violin as a scholarship Mm -hmm. kind of opportunity, because many of the schools I was looking at were the private schools in Minnesota that are very expensive, but have good music programs that have a lot of money. So initially, I was committed to go to one of those schools. And then I was like, I can't can't afford this even with scholarship. Yeah, um, wow. And thank goodness because don't even get me started on just loans. That's a whole that's oh a different well. Podcast. <laughs> let's just let's just hope that for my younger listeners that student debt is not going to be a thing. Yeah, that's like well, a millennial slash prop. I don't know. It, I was trying to think if there's any other generation. It's in the millennial starter pack, as, <laughs> as the kids say. All right, like truly, Jesus. So yeah, and also let this be if you are on the about where you're going to school, I ultimately ended up going to truly one of the most affordable colleges you can literally go to, University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Again, went in as a biology major, was on a music scholarship. And within the first two days of the semester, because we had already, the stipulation of the scholarship I was on was that I was in a string quartet that was going to give multiple formal performances a semester. So kind of like an honor string quartet. Yeah. And so quickly I was like, oh wait, but all my friends are the music people. And I was like, oh. 
Okay, uh-huh. like that's okay, whatever. And then I was meeting with my advisor, I think, because there were course requirements for the scholarship as well. And she's like, oh yeah, have you considered a double major music and biology? And I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Like, some people can, I cannot. I know yeah. myself, I can't. And I'm, I'm a very all in, intense, immersive person. Yeah. And I was like, I'm switching to music. Mm. And they were like, great. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so I did that. Um <laughs> Did that for a year, went back to biology for a semester, oh. came back to music again. Interesting. So I've tried to get out several times. <laughs> No, no, I'm, I'm just joking. But it sounds so like random at the time. But the fact that I went back to biology and then came back to music again, I think I needed to know for myself that I could have done pre-med. Mm. I think there was a part of me that was like, you'll never know. What if you love it way more than music and you throw your violin out the window? Right. And this is like the thing that makes you like get out of bed in the morning. And it wasn't. I am happy to rehearse and practice for 10, 12 plus hours a day studying. Not. Now, especially on top of the fact that I still was basically a music major because of what I was doing with the scholarship in terms mm-hmm. of the playing and I was like I'm always going to practice over studying yeah I'm just always going to and so it was like well then maybe it's not worth it so after that I knew I wanted to move out of the Midwest for a while chamber music has always been something that's really important to me and something that I've enjoyed doing and so I looked at Colorado and I was like had a lesson with Harumi and it was an amazing lesson and ended up going there for my master's and then stayed for an artist diploma and yeah and it's at that point then joined Altius. Yeah. So I I graduated in quotations with my master's degree in May 2020. So we were on Zoom. It was great. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. But I will say the string department did this really awesome things where all of the string students who had graduated, that was everyone in the Zoom. So it was a very small, we knew everyone and each of our professors spoke a little bit about us, this sort of thing. Oh, it was, that's It was cute. just great. Yeah, it was awesome. And like people's parents could tune in. They still mailed us the graduation programs. Mm-hmm. So it was like, honestly, best case scenario, all things yeah. considered. And then, yeah, that summer I joined Altius and I had already agreed to, you know, stay in Hermes studio and begin my artist diploma. And so when I joined Altius, I was also a full-time artist diploma student. That's which, challenging. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. But honestly, looking back, I don't think I've been that efficient but mm. also paradoxically, that was the highest level of playing I've done in like recent history. And mm-hmm. I think it was just I was in this like fight or flight mode of like, you don't have a choice, you have a fraction of the time that in the past you felt like you needed and wanted. So you need to do it. And also like no excuses. Yes, yeah. almost every minute of playing that I did that year was in front of at least two other people. Yes, whether it was a lesson, a rehearsal, of course, recital, competition, studio class, because I didn't really have time to practice either. And when right. I did, I was practicing at home because mm-hmm. of COVID. Right. So it was all of our neighbors. And like Nick was like also trying to teach high school band over Zoom. And it was just this like crazy, yeah. like crazy, crazy, crazy time. But that I think getting a taste of when I'm doing many similar but different things musically, I felt yes, chaotic and so overwhelmed. But the fact that that was some of the best playing Mm -hmm. I've done recently, I was like, damn, like I can never, yes, music is the lowest lows for me sometimes, but the highest highs. And so I think to kind of zoom back into your question about why I'm doing it still now, there's something about playing violin that 
I never feel that way any other time. Mm-hmm. And again, in the good ways, but also the bad ways. Totally. Like, right. And through violin, because actually growing up, you will definitely find this hard to believe. But from birth to about fourth, fifth grade, I was like so shy. Uh-huh. Like I would not, I had like a couple friends, but like back in the day, yeah. <laughs> we had to, you know, call our friend's house on the landline and ask <laughs> for a play date. I couldn't do it. I yeah. was like, mom, I want to have a play date with so-and-so, but like I can't get on the phone. Like, yeah. There's no way. I you was know, deathly like, afraid of phones yeah. too. Yeah. These are know. like my yeah. best friends. Their parents know me so well. Literally yeah. like lifelong friends. I'm like, I can't do it. But when I play and when I'm on stage, especially like something about solo violin, walking out and it's like me and my instrument and I'm just like hey (laughs) you know it's just like hello everyone and feeling I have this way to show people myself that doesn't have to be spoken that doesn't have to be like qualified in any way yeah that's a good word yes qualified and it does it's abstract in a good way it's like yeah you listening to me play you know Ravel violin sonata or you hearing you know the Chaconne for the thousandth millionth time in your life but it's my version these things like I don't know there's something about that I'm not sure I could find that anywhere else Right. Or you haven't yet, at yeah. least to the height and proficiency that you have. Well, yeah. and my I've met all my best friends, my husband, some of the best just people in my life I've all met through music. I guess I hate to make this comparison because I feel like it's kind of like a cliche, but like it almost is like my religion. Oh, totally. In that sense of, in the sense of community, in the sense of right. this way of relating to people, communicating with people that not everybody's sort of privy to, not in an exclusive way, but like I know that who I am on stage, I can be kind of whoever, not in like a hiding myself but actually the opposite and an right. opening just kind of an exhale kind of a way yeah it, and yeah i miss that so yes people currently in school next time you're complaining about how many rehearsals you have guess what <laughs> you're gonna miss it someday <laughs> so that's not to say or extend yourself or be unhealthy but still you might miss yeah, it someday <laughs> isn't it isn't it funny though like i also sometimes think back to my life in school for instance and i think about all the times i was came home from school complaining to my roommates and just saying like what the heck was xyz person thinking and what the yes. what this person and like but now it's like wow like i was so lucky back then like i don't <laughs> we literally we got asked to play for things just, yeah just asked all the time right. we had to say no because we were being asked to do so many things granted we're right. getting paid probably not no however but- the amount sheer amount of music we would play in like a mm-hmm. semester or even like a month yeah wild now i'm like two scales and i'm like man i need a cup of tea like <laughs> like, like i'm tired you know it's like <laughs> It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, highly relatable. And I think that's why you are such a wonderful addition to Stringwood and the assistant faculty, because it's like one of those things where just even hearing your story is just like so relatable to the musician's life and experiences and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and struggles. You know, it's like it's not always like a yellow brick road of any sort. Um, well, and that's not I, I don't want this to sound like preachy, but it's helpful too to remember whether it's theater, music, act like dance Mm -hmm. sports any of these things that have these like super famous high level celebrities Mm -hmm. anything looking up to them and taking advice from them is incredible 
But also remembering that many of those people, and this is not like a slight against them or any sort of like diminishing the things that they've done for themselves, but like they were probably already on that track from age five, six, mm-hmm. maybe even younger, mm-hmm. which is great also mm-hmm. because we need any sort of art needs that kind of ceiling to be continually pushed up and up. everybody to kind of keep climbing and reaching for that. Right. But it, it is nice to sometimes sit down and be like, you know what? What we're doing is freaking difficult. And and 90% of the time, it's not going to work out the right. way you want, or maybe the way you want Ted, mm-hmm. or maybe plan A, but there's like plan B through Z, slash mm-hmm. B prime through Z prime, like infinite possibilities. And it feels good. It's like a cleanse to just say that out loud, because mm-hmm. nobody says it. Right. People just say, you got to just work hard and practice. It's like, okay, what? Like, mm-hmm. we've all done that. I right. think everybody's done that. Right. Like, I'm sorry to say, but we can all do hours of practice. We can all work hard. We can all do these sorts of arbitrary Universal things. rules, yes. let's say. Yeah. Yes, but like just sitting down and having a conversation like, oof, violence sucks right now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> cool like heard but that feels so good and then you can move on and just it's it's kind of like shedding the negativity Mm -hmm. of that moment and that's something i wish that i would have given myself permission to do sooner yeah you You, actually you kind of answered a future question so we'll like circle back (laughs) to that later in the episode but i know that you recently have relocated back to the twin cities and Mm -hmm. welcome back uh i'm so so excited that you're in town and you know (laughs) available and so what's on the horizon for you well first of all my husband and i bought a house and so we uh, most of august and all of september was pretty chaotic and so my life at that time was filled with paint and furniture and ripping out carpet and these sorts of things, which was actually, we were talking about processing being out of school. It was great because, yeah. you know, and I'm rolling a wall. All, I'm just like, all right, let's think about it. Like, let's yeah. dig deep here, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of what I was Hoboing. up to earlier in the fall. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, so I'm teaching sponsored lessons for Gitsy's Greater Twin Cities Youth Symphonies, the Harmony program. And so essentially the goal is to bring these students through the Harmony program and set them free into the Gitsies orchestra universe. trajectory. Yeah. Yes, the Gitsies universe, exactly. Yeah. So that's been really, really wonderful. I'm teaching a couple of private students out of our home here in Chaska. I'm playing at several churches in the area. And then actually an upcoming project I'm really excited about is a friend of mine from Colorado. His name is Eric Miranda. He's a saxophone player. For his doctoral recording project, he transcribed Bartok contrasts for piano, violin, and alto saxophone instead of clarinet. Clarinet. So it's, Interesting. It's, yeah. So it's not like super, I mean, forgive my ignorance as well. Like obviously there's a lot that's gone into it, but it's a similar and very interesting choice because the piece initially was dedicated to Benny Goodman, who right. was a huge jazz clarinetist. Yeah. So it's like this interesting meeting of the genres with the yes. with, with instruments and things like that. I, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I've never played the piece as well. And so it's frankly a project that I think in school, I'm not sure I would have had the time to be my best self in yeah um right so now you are yeah and he asked me essentially at the end of last year and so we're going to be rehearsing for that kind of over the next couple months and then his recital and then ultimately the recording process will happen kind of in february and i'm really looking forward to that and we're also doing a this piece by evan chambers called come down heavy which is wild the violent part is eric if you're listening thanks for giving me a workout (laughs) (laughs) um that is just gonna be fun and i think the chance to i have not 
not always felt this way, but the chance to record something in a formal studio setting mm-hmm. is actually really, I'm excited. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. And then I'll be playing with, um, I've been taking some orchestra cycle gigs with some regional orchestras here. And then also in Colorado, I'm actually traveling back to play personally as an excuse to go visit some of my friends. Sure, um, sure. But also just, it's nice to travel to play. That's kind of a fun. Well, thing getting out of your inner bubble too is like, mm-hmm. a, even if it's a place you're so familiar with it, you always get a new perspective of either that location or where you are where you're yeah. living and residing and I think it's always always good to try to travel yeah 100%. well I'm excited for you and all your projects and again like just so thrilled that you're part of the music scene in the Twin Cities along with yeah, me thank you so, me yeah. too yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah very excited all right are you ready to take a break I sure am okay we'll be right back Are you enjoying this episode and are excited for more content to come? Consider becoming part of the Hayden Behind the Music Stand family on Patreon. Any contribution level helps keep the podcast alive. That's at patreon.com slash Hayden Music Stand. Other ways to support are to recommend episodes to friends and family and to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's quick, easy, and a free way to spread the word about my fantastic guests and all the incredible accomplishments they achieve in the music world. Also, feel free to reach out to us through social media at Hayden Music Stand and by email HaydenMusicStand at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Welcome back from the break. So Hannah, before I forget, I want to shout out Emmanuel Todd Lopez. Oh, listen, my man is on recovery. He is is doing so much better. And there is a very cute photo of him on the, what is it? Knuckle Bump Farms Instagram. Uh And he's wearing bunny ears for Halloween. Oh, nice. And it's pretty, it's equal parts horrifying and like the cutest thing I've ever seen because like, I feel like emus aren't necessarily like cute you know <laughs> they're so, ugly cute for sure he's yeah he's wearing these ears but yeah he's doing he's on the road to recovery as far as i understand yeah so for those who don't know who emmanuel todd lopez is mm-hmm. it's this like tiktok famous emu that i did you discover him no matt matt did okay introduced like there's one video but then we realized that it was not just a one-off it was like this whole collection internet persona and like there's a whole yeah knuckle bump farms instagram and this whole thing right and so we were just obsessed with this emu over the summer at stringwood and would pretend to be emmanuel todd lopez (laughs) occasionally and so about a what a few weeks ago there was an aviation avian avian i keep wanting to say aviation like the cocktail no (laughs) or like the flight industry (laughs) or that too (laughs) anyway Uh, but yeah, there's an avian flu that swept through that farm and we all thought for a second that Emmanuel Todd Lopez was about to die, but then yeah. he didn't get it. So yay, he's on the road to recovery. So everything's Crisis good. averted. Exactly. We good, we good. More content hopefully for him to come. So. Yes. <laughs> All this to say, are there any emus up in the boundary waters of northern Minnesota? 
No, first of all. Second of all, great segue. <laughs> Thank you. No, I think the bird that most people would, myself included, associate with the Bound Rotters is the common loon, which is... The state bird of Minnesota. This, yes, the state bird. And it's, I mean, you can see them everywhere in the Boundary Waters. You can see the baby loons. You can see them taking off and landing. You can see them fishing, the whole thing. But no emus yet. Maybe Emmanuel will go on a little <laughs> canoe trip. And... Can you imagine like a little like parka? Yeah, or like a little life jacket. A little boots. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so how did you get introduced to that part of the state and why is it so special to you? So growing up, I'd always really enjoyed camping. My family went, we car camped a lot, but we would occasionally do kind of more backcountry endeavors. And then when I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that, I went on a couple just like day trips because I, so I went to high school in Stillwater, Minnesota, which is right on the St. Croix River. And so you can rent canoes and do that sort of thing. They drive you up and then you paddle yourself back down it's really fun. So I did that a couple times. I was like, I had kind of heard of the Boundary Waters, but didn't really understand what it was, which I guess for those who don't know, it's technically a wilderness area. So it, it still has a federal designation. So similar to a national park or a national monument, but it's a wilderness area and it borders Quetico, which is essentially the Canadian Boundary Waters, but they call it Quetico Provincial Park. It also is bordered by slash intersected by the Superior National Forest. And it's right up at the tip of Minnesota. So as you're driving up, you know, you're going through Duluth and Two Harbors and Tofty and Grand Marais and all these cities that are right on Lake Superior. So it's mm-hmm. just this beautiful area. So yeah, the first canoe trip I went on was this summer after my ninth grade year. And we, looking back, we had a lot of really heavy, really impractical gear, but we made it happen. And ever since then, I think I've only not gone on a trip for two summers when I was living in Colorado, because Colorado, where it may have mountains, it has pretty much no lakes. Uh, <laughs> so right. yeah, I haven't been on a canoe trip since this past summer, 2022. And I went on a trip with just this amazing group of women, several of whom I worked with actually at an outfitter in the Boundary Waters, which that's something I did in between my undergraduate and my master's. Yeah. So what does a canoe trip entail? Yeah. So the Boundary Waters is made up of the entire wilderness area is a ton of lakes. It's over 2000 lakes. And sometimes you can paddle in between the lakes because there's some sort of creek or drainage or something like that. But more often, and you have to portage. So that means taking all your gear out of the canoe, picking up the canoe, putting it on your shoulders, schlepping yourself and all of your gear on a trail from one lake to the next with the canoe, with the packs, the paddles, the life jackets, everything. That's heavy. Yeah. And canoe trips are notorious. Like backpacking, I think, especially with modern technology, you can do a backpacking trip with a pack that's like really doable Mm -hmm. and frankly kind of comfortable. Canoe packs are not like that. They're usually like wild heavy, way like not packed very very well. The packs themselves aren't meant to be carried for like miles and miles. Mm -hmm. So they're not very comfortable. So it's kind of a grind. It's like what I like to call type two fun, which is where you hate it, but then you laugh about it later, which I'm literally doing now. So that's kind of the transportation. And then there are tons of designated campsites scattered throughout the boundary waters. So the bigger lakes can have upwards of seven, eight, nine, 10 plus Mm -hmm. sites, and you don't reserve the sites. So it's first come first serve, but 
but there is a permit system to enter the boundary waters. So that's how mm-hmm. they regulate the population. So a canoe trip, there are many ways. I mean, of course, as with anything in life, there are many ways to do a canoe trip. The type of canoe trip I love the most is a good mix of kind of a suffer fest. So it's like, yeah. maybe we're doing a few too many miles a day. Yeah. Maybe we're getting into camp when it's pitch black and we're all cranky and the mosquitoes are like out, but it's still fun. But also having moments in the day where you're kind of chilling. One of my favorite things to do is a canoe meal. So like lunch often is during travel from campsite to campsite. So especially when the bugs are bad, there are no bugs in the middle of the lake. So if you paddle out and you have your lunch in the boat, it's just great. You're chatting with whoever you're traveling with. And yeah, so that's kind of my brand is traveling every day, but giving yourself permission to kind of slow it down when you want to. smell the roses, as people would say, right? Yeah, literally. (laughs) I mean, yeah, and just soak it in. So we've been talking about everywhere where we can't escape it now, you know, understandably so, but we've been talking a lot about COVID and how it's been affecting music, but COVID actually impacted national parks and wilderness areas in entirely the opposite way, because that was the only thing we could do safely was be outside. And so the Boundary Waters actually in summer of 2020 saw huge volumes of people, like beyond anything that they'd ever seen before, which was fantastic. But because of just the sheer volume of people, but also a lot of people who weren't familiar with both written and unspoken rules of the Boundary Waters, there was some damage, there was a lot of trash being left behind compared to in the past. And so they reduced the permit quota, like we were talking about. And so actually the trip I went on over the summer, I was kind of weirded out at first. I was like, guys, like we haven't really seen any other paddlers. Like it's so easy to find a site. And they were like, we were kind of trying to like brainstorm what we think contributed to that. And I think a big thing was the permit quota. So it is unfortunate on one hand, because you do have to plan a lot further in advance now versus in the past, the Boundary Waters was one of the more accessible national wilderness experiences, but it's so much better for the land itself. And it's, yeah. And, you know, you don't have to be stressed out that you need to find a campsite by 2 p.m. Otherwise you're posed, you know, you can like, yeah, yeah, truly. So it's a beautiful place. How accessible is it to get a permit visit? Mm. So it's actually very straightforward. For those who are comfortable using a website, you can go through um, the Forest Service permitting portal. It'll kind of walk you through it. And there are limits on group size. So you can have no more than nine people per group and you can have no more than four watercraft per group. So if you have nine people, you have to fit those nine into four of your watercraft. So you can't have like nine kayaks or something right. like a, an armada of kayaks going yeah. down. Yeah, so it, it walks you through. It's so, this is the thing. Like, so we were talking about Glacier. It's not only so hard to get there, but it's expensive and it's beautiful, but it's so crowded, all these things. The Boundary Waters, first of all, if you drive from the Twin Cities, you can be to your entry point, from Minneapolis to your entry point in six, seven, eight hours-ish mm-hmm. tops. If you drive from Duluth, you can be to one in like two, three hours. Mm-hmm. And the permit, it's $16 a person. That's it. It doesn't matter if you do a three-week trip or a three-day trip or a three-hour trip, and you can get day permits as well. So it's very kind of customizable to what you want your experience to be. Anyway, so yeah, you can go on online and do it. Otherwise, outfitters like Sawbill, the one that I worked at, but there are tons of outfitters both based out of Ely and then more in the Sawbill Gunflint Trail range area. You can call the outfitters and oftentimes they'll talk you through the online thing over the phone. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. Because it can be kind of confusing, especially choosing your entry point can be something that if it's your first trip, I strongly recommend calling an outfitter just because it's nice to really understand what needs to happen to get there and get back from the entry point because mm-hmm. there's no cell service up there. Oftentimes it's dirt roads. If you have to put a canoe on your vehicle, you know, all these sorts of things kind of stack up. So yeah. like, again, I worked at Sawbill, but all the outfitters are so great at really making it clear 
clear and easy to understand for people to go in. Cool. Other than the loons, what other kind of wildlife have you witnessed up there? Or mm. what's like your favorite thing or whatever? Yeah, so my favorite thing is baby loons. Aww. They are so cute. And when they're really little, they ride on the backs of their parents, which I think is just like, indescribably how cute. How can it be cuter than that? <laughs> yeah, it yeah. can't. It's like they're paid actors or something. I've seen otters in the Boundary Waters. I mean, there are tons of fish in the Boundary Waters. I guess that's not really, you know, an animal per se. So black bears are natives in the Boundary Waters. I've seen a couple on a few trips I've been on. It's not grizzlies, right? We're not talking like predatory carnivore bear vibes. That said, you know, if you are near a mama bear and her cubs, things can get pretty dicey. Uh I have seen from the water a mom with cubs before and we were like, thank goodness we are in the water. Water, Just kind of paddle away and like avert our eyes. I've seen moose in the Boundary Waters. Let's see. I mean, a lot of the times you hear many animals. So like a lot of the birds, I am, oh, this is embarrassing, but I'm so bad with knowing like the names of birds, but you can hear, especially owls, you can hear those a lot. There are a lot of mosquitoes in the Boundary Waters. Yeah, so bring your whatever. (laughs) Like bring your long sleeves, long pants, bring your deet. Listen, life's too short. Like deet's not good for you. Deet is not good for the environment, but whoo, like the mosquitoes, you know, you got to preserve morale. Um, (laughs) So anyway, yeah, it's amazing just even seeing like a little red squirrel, you know, Mm -hmm. like these things that usually we see through our window or like in our backyard, but there's a separation, but you're in their territory instead of the opposite. Yeah. And then in the winter and the boundary waters, all the lakes freeze. And so then the wolves will travel basically limitless because they don't have to worry about swimming. Right. Right. And so they get very active up there. Yeah. Are there any lasting thoughts that you wanted to share about your experiences up in that part of the country? Yeah. Part of why I love the Boundary Waters, or I guess if I had to boil down why I love the Boundary Waters so much, is it's kind of a slow burn. Like, for example, if I sent you the link to view one of the Google photo albums from one of my trips, you'd probably be like, all right, there are like a couple cool pictures, but like the rest of them, it's like trees and water, right? Which like, not that trees and water are not beautiful, but it's not, you know, the Rockies or Glacier Mm -hmm. National Park or like Mm -hmm. the ocean. But because of that, I think the beauty of it is going on a trip, especially when it's with people that you already know really well, because you get to know them even more in a different way. Right. Because you're just sitting there, you're paddling, you're portaging, or you're setting up camp, and you're just like existing with these people. And I've gotten to know, I mean, so Nick and I, for example, we had been dating for several years, and he had never been on any sort of backcountry trip. And we went to the Boundary Waters. And first of all, I was, I loved that he could see something that is so important to me, but also like us seeing each other in that environment I think Mm -hmm. it's something that you know we obviously know each other very well knew each other very well at that time but yeah it's just this way of uh, like peel back another layer yeah and it's just slower but somehow that's more open I'm not sure exactly if there's one word but yeah I think the slow burn characterization you don't really realize how freaking amazing and beautiful and impactful it is at least I didn't until I look back on trips and I'm like damn like that trip I can't believe that any of that stuff happened or that so and so and I had this conversation mm-hmm. or I thought this to myself. So and, it's yeah. somewhat like removing yourself from your normalcy and going to a place of in some ways isolation or isolation with others that you trust. And yeah. And then also I'm assuming maybe I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but like no, please. the connection to nature and yeah. how it all stems from that. Like our existence stems from our connection with nature and Yes. Yeah. Well and yes, and our physical body is 
capable of so much and enduring not again not in like a pushing yourself beyond some sort of limit but like for example the trip over the summer that I was on in the past I did a three-week trip in the boundary waters these things that if you kind of just conceptualize that out of context it's like god I would not I could never you know I could never carry a canoe for multiple miles with no break on a portage well guess what I did you know and it's like I did two of my friends did because we had three canoes with us you know and we all just got to the end and it was like holy sh I'm in pain but like we did that in this sense of like we're capable physically of so much more not like a fitness way or like an Olympic athlete our brains are capable like we are capable of pushing ourselves as far as we want and anytime I can be reminded of that I'm like oh yeah that's right Right. pain is actually like okay sometimes like it's okay to like make friends with that in those types of moments of course right Um, right 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 right. well cool thanks Hannah for sharing your stories and the reflections from the boundary waters I could go on for hours let me tell you (laughs) I have I yeah no I've also for a wedding randomly was up there and it is also yeah gorgeous probably some of the prettiest parts of Minnesota that you can ever really see yeah yes and unchanged really right Mm -hmm. preserved and protected yeah well can i ask you two final questions yes please i'm ready Okay, so this is where I think you might have answered yourself already, but tell me if there's another one. What is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self about entering and pursuing a music career? I think I would say give yourself permission in a healthy, self-supportive way, acknowledge your strengths in a way that frees you up to really be vulnerable and expose your weaknesses in a good way so that you can bring everything up together with you. And that goes for instrumental technique, vocal technique if you're a singer, but also yourself being okay with acknowledging what you're good at and playing to those strengths, literally in this case. Because somehow I think in the music industry, sometimes it's like shameful to be aware to quote unquote, only do things that you're good at. But it's like, well, yeah, but there's like, somebody else who can do the stuff I can't. Yeah. Who can't do the things I can. Nobody can do what somebody else can do exactly, right? So yeah, yeah giving myself permission to be in an internal way, remind myself of the things that come more naturally to me and then open myself to be vulnerable to my weaknesses and areas that I want to work on so that I can work on those things in conjunction with elevating things that are already come naturally. And then it's also something that actually I've heard Candace Parker, the WNBA basketball player, she said once that she was asked what to be a successful professional athlete, what she thinks the ideal ratio of luck and hard work is and she was like listen you always have to work hard because when you get lucky you want to be able to take advantage of it Mm -hmm. because we all are going to get lucky Mm -hmm. some more than others some on a bigger scale than others but we all have those moments of luck or like everything's falling into place or like everything happens for a reason however you think of it in your own Mm -hmm. head but to really like say you get called last minute for a gig and you roll in and you shred you're like I sound freaking amazing I'm a great colleague I was on time I like didn't spill my coffee on the stage like whatever mm-hmm. great but if you get called for that kick-ass gig and then you roll up just not sounding good mm-hmm. because you weren't working hard then all that luck is for nothing right so and I only heard I mean that's something like hearing her characterize it that way was something that I only heard a few years ago so that's yeah. something I definitely would have said to my younger self is like yeah luck is just in the air it's among us but like yeah. the thing that you can always control is what you do with that luck I think that's a kind of interesting way of reading 
reframing to the idea of, you know. Yeah, my version of that that I at least came to my own was you're preparing for the opportunity that everything that you do, like so much of school is about an assignment. It's about a test. It's about a performance. Start and finish. Audition. Right. And there are cases where that's true. But I think the bigger spectrum of that is you're preparing yourself for the potential opportunity and you just don't know when that's going to strike, which is so it's all very complimentary what we're saying. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah. I, li- I like that way of saying it too. Yeah, because it also takes the pressure off of the immediacy of being perfect. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it also can, frankly, I mean, let's just say it out loud, when you don't really have a whole lot going on, it can motivate you to practice. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> because yeah, as we've been talking about in verse out of school, when you're in school, you're often craving more practice time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I have like a couple things to practice for in this given moment. That's not very motivating. Right. Compared to the kind of, frankly, the rush stress panic yeah, practicing yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. any of us are accustomed <laughs> to yeah anyway yeah thanks for that answer and my second question is how has the pandemic changed your career well it's sort of a little minute personal thing that it changed was i kid you not from my first year as an undergraduate to my last semester as a master's student i had never practiced at home mm-hmm couldn't. Of course, I practiced at home growing up because, duh, I was at home. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I was like, there's no way. The second I get home, my motivation's out the window. And now, when the pandemic hit, there was no choice. And I was like, I actually love, I have my own, like, home practice versus school practice routine or third-party location routine. And just that empowerment of being like, oh, I can practice not in a dimly lit practice room at a university and still be successful. Yeah, with the flickering. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, the stench of, like, microwaved fish or something yeah, it's or like something, why yeah. like why are you <laughs> cooking fish in a microwave but in a kind of grander scale or more broad scale I think it actually made me think about music more creatively especially the time of joining the Altius Quartet shortly after the pandemic began it was like so what are we doing when we don't have as robust of a calendar as maybe had existed pre-pandemic these sorts of things and I only spent about a year playing with them but even that time it was like I realized what a privilege it is to be able to do things like that in any capacity, whether it's a wedding gig that you rehearse for five minutes maybe before, whether it's a chamber music recital you've been preparing for with every iota of your being for weeks, whatever it may be, at the end of the day, what we're doing is something that there's a reason why people still play these old string instruments, right? Right, right. (laughs) These instruments that have been around forever. There's something about it that none of us can put into words. And so I think it reminded me of that. And actually, thank you for asking that question because even saying that out loud I'm like I should think about that more (laughs) I I don't remember that more because I how I felt then I was like playing in studio class was a treat having an in-person studio class was like oh my gosh pinnacle like Carnegie Hall recital I was like yes (laughs) I have live people to play for you know yeah and I get to hear people in person Mm -hmm. so yeah this made me want to take less for granted Sure. That's a perfect answer for that. Well, Hannah, can you share with us any websites, social media? How how can people learn more about you? Sure. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Both of my accounts are pretty locked down, but I feel free to request to follow me on Instagram. And let's see, I think actually to tie it all together, I think my Sawbill bio might still exist somewhere on the webs. Maybe not, but you could maybe dig that up. Yeah. And and of course, stringwood.com for- Yeah, (laughs) stringwood.com. 
scan this. Submit thing with- your applications. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we should have some kind of group episode together with all the assistant faculty. I would um, love that. Yeah, sometime before next time we recruit for students for Stringwood 2023. Yes, it's yes, it's gonna be a blast. I'm yeah. already excited. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your life story. Thank you. And all your insights. Yeah. And welcome back to the Twin Cities. Thanks, Patty. Thanks for having me on. This is yeah. awesome. Yeah. And thanks for listening. Sushi, say bye.